Hello, welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, writer and editor of Sharp Football Analysis. I am joined here, as always, by our fantasy expert, Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what is happening? Uh, episode four, it's almost like they're going to keep us around to keep putting these out. And, uh, you know, we, the NFL has given us some content, at least, to talk about. But uh, we'll get into some more evergreen topics here down the road uh, in this period that kind of comes after this, uh, you know, last little news wave from NFL uh, that the NFL gave us here recently with the schedule release. Yeah, we're doing it. I think we're going to rival the NFL, see how long we can stretch out the schedule release uh, for how many podcasts we can get out of the NFL schedule because that uh, that seems to be the only thing we got right now. We don't know when training camps are going to be. We don't know if there are going to be training camps. We've got the schedule out, which we've talked about on the Sharp Angles podcast, which you guys can find in the Sharp Angles podcast feed. Uh, that was myself, Rich, and Warren Sharp. We went over all of a whole bunch of details about the schedule. We are going to continue going over the schedule, but because this is a fantasy football podcast, we are going to be talking about the fantasy football impact of that schedule, hopefully when it starts on time, we hope. But what we can do is look at what the schedule means. Rich has been starting to write some stuff on the website, but we're also just going to talk about that here. So Rich, from a, a fantasy perspective, what are you really looking for when this schedule comes out? So when the schedule comes out and incorporating strength of schedule into fantasy football, I'm not really overly fitting in players based on schedule at all. But if you want to look at it from a year-over-year fantasy points allowed perspective, that is relatively stable at the top of each position when you're factoring like the top five teams and the bottom five teams. Those do have a lot of good correlation as far as fantasy coefficient correlations go. Uh, But when I'm looking at it from like a running back and wide receiver position, I'm still treating those as opportunity games first. I tend not to have much weight put forward in the positions based on schedule unless something looks like just really out of the normal dire because we're just really, like I said, focusing on the opportunity first. But even if you look at last season, uh, Christian McCaffrey faced the slate of opposing defenses that were allowing the fewest amount of points per game to opposing backfields prior to the week they faced the Panthers. Uh, and he, he turned in the most advantageous running back one season ever. Again, you know, we're, just, we're really looking at it from an opportunity-based stance with running backs and wide receivers. So I'm not going to really run away from those guys based on schedule and overly fit in, you know, strength of schedule there. Tight end, especially, is the lowest year-over-year correlation. And it's really just really based on who has tight ends and who doesn't. I wrote about this in the strength of schedule piece leading into the NFL schedule release, looking at last year's data. And teams at the top of the league in positive point differential based on uh, what the opponents had allowed coming in, it really just comes down to two things. Does a team use their tight ends in the passing game? And two, do they have functional players at that position? Because you look at the top five teams in point differential versus opponent, they were the Eagles, the Ravens, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the 49ers. And um, three of those teams had bottom 10 schedules against tight ends. So it's really just comes down to usage at those positions but when we're looking at the passing game I will take some of that passing passing game year-over-year correlation from the top defenses and the bottom ones and use them and apply them to like my late round quarterbacks and my early season streamers um, which is you know 
kind of what is another point too. Uh, you know, with the NFL being so fluid, inherently having a ton of variants, I'm looking mostly just at in early in-season application instead of weeks one through 17 schedule difficulty. We're really just – because it's so fluid and, and some of these teams change over so fast. The teams – in week 16, when you want to start them in your fantasy playoffs against these matchups, it might not be a team you were targeting in week five. Uh, you know, it, it changes. So I'm really looking at it just from like an opening month standpoint and uh, looking at it from the quarterback position because there's a lot more value to be squeezed at a linear scoring position like there. And then, you know, of course, team defense when we get there. So that's kind of how I'm just treating it from a top-down view. It's, sometimes we you know, hear people, they're targeting like week 15, 16 in their drafts and going at looking for advantageous championship uh, round matchups, but in from their drafts, but we, we don't really know what, what the defenses are going to look like. We can, we can assume some of these defenses are going to be bad, but it's, it's interesting. And I think like you have done and you started doing that on the website, looking at some of those, this early season stuff, especially on two of the most streamed positions, I think, which are quarterback and, team defense a lot of people are taking those positions increasingly later if you're doing fantasy drafts right usually uh, if you're doing them correctly um so when you are looking at um when you're looking at the quarterback um are are you looking at these streamers and really thinking about uh the early season schedule is how high up on on your priorities is that when you're thinking about taking some of these late round quarterbacks it's it's a factor, but I'll absolutely take a guy that falls. That's a value. I mean, when I come in, I'm looking to basically see what what the quarterback room, how it's going to be treated in my draft, because that's going to dictate how I go. You know, if the, if the room's going to wait on quarterbacks, that means I'm probably going to get a better QB one than I initially probably planned on getting. You know, maybe be able to get a guy in that you know quarterback you know six through ten range, as opposed to getting a quarterback in that ten to fifteen range uh, when they're going off the board a little higher. But if I am shopping in that later rounds if they're going earlier than I really want to take them while I want to hammer running backs and wide receivers on my roster, then I'm going to incorporate schedule a little more because I'm looking just to get out of the blocks as fast as I can. And I'm inherently taking on a worse player uh, that I have projected lower than these guys that are going ahead of them. So I do look at it um, in that sense. Uh, that's when it does become a factor. But, you know, if the draft room is going to wait on quarterbacks too and push them down the board, then that probably allows me to get a guy that I probably wasn't really trying to expect to get, you know, maybe a guy, like I said, and that maybe, maybe it is a Russell Wilson type at the, you know, in the QB six spot that falls or, you know, uh, a Drew Brees or something like that, that I really wasn't planning on aggressively pursuing, but because the room waits on quarterback, it, it lets me wait on it too and get a little value on a guy that uh, I had ranked highly as well. But um, when we're looking at like the QB twos, uh, when we get in that range of the lower end QB ones, um, a couple guys that stand out, you know, right away, if you're just starting in that foundation, if you're looking for a guy to slip from that range, Josh Allen is kind of the first guy, and you know, Josh Allen gets a lot of, of riff, you know, from the real football community, because, you know, a lot of people think he's basically, you know, Mitchell Trubisky just with like more athleticism. And that may absolutely be true. He might not be a guy that you want to give a big money contract to when his second contract comes up. But from a fantasy stance, this guy is ultra productive. You know, he's got a high floor due to his rushing. Um, and then he really took a, advantage of his soft spots a year ago, schedule wise. Uh, he had nine games against defenses that were in the bottom half of the league and passing efficiency. And in 
those games, he averaged just under 22 fantasy points per game and was the average QB8 weekly, uh, opposed to the other games when he faced the team in the top half where he had just 15.5 points per game and he was the average QB17 weekly. And he opens up his schedule with three opening, uh, four opening games uh, against bottom half teams in, in terms of passing efficiency projected schedule. So if he's a guy I might be targeting and earmarking to see if he slips from that group and goes a little bit lower. Then if we say we wait and I'm going another tier later, now I'm looking at a guy, now that the schedules have come out, a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who opens with a really positive schedule. He faces just one team uh, that was in the top half of passing efficiency, you know, from a year ago. And he opens with a team like the Giants on the road uh, at, on primetime. And Ben on the road in primetime is a different beast than Ben on the road. You always hear a lot about Ben's road splits, but he's completely fine outside of those early kickoff starts. I don't know what it is and what, what he's doing on the road. that it, He struggles so much in early road starts, but in primetime, he's lit it up uh, even on the road. Uh, he's got one sticky, sticky matchup against Denver, but then, you know, he's got Houston and then Tennessee and, and then opening month and there's still playmakers in that Pittsburgh offense we didn't really get to see that offense this year because they just got nosedived by that quarterback situation uh, I wrote about this a little bit in the quarterback check the schedule Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges were just absolute objective disasters last year Pittsburgh had the lowest de- or the, the largest single season decrease in passing yards per game in NFL history from 2018 to 2019 and you know Ben's gonna be 38 years old and he's not gonna have Antonio Brown we still haven't seen how that translate to him as far as having a fantasy season. But when I'm going in that high QB2 range, he's a guy I'm looking to just get off to a hot start, uh, you know, in that area. And then also, if you want to go back to that article, I won't hit on all the guys here, but I did highlight a number of other like QB2 options that have favorable opening month schedules. And then a lot of guys that you can look at just for potential streaming options. Uh, so definitely go and check that article out on the site. Yeah, absolutely. Check out that article. I think one interesting thing about Ben Roethlisberger too, you said kind of the one hesitation there in that early season schedule might be Denver week two. They've had a pretty good defense with Fangio, but that week two game is going to be at home. That's going to be in Pittsburgh. And that is a completely different scenario than being at Denver early in the season. I know uh, Justice Mosqueda of Optimum Scouting has done a lot of research into early season games in Denver, which are just uh, like in September, which are just death for opponents. Denver um, it just is a supremely better team when they get to play in that high altitude in September. So Pittsburgh having their only like real kind of you know so-so matchup there, uh, being getting that in Pittsburgh instead of in Denver uh, is very advantageous for Roethlisberger. Um, so while looking at some of the guys who will get good early season. Uh, who are some guys you might be hesitant on taking late because of their early season start? So the, the first guy that jumps out right away is Ryan Tannehill. And we know that, you know, Ryan Tannehill is due for, you know, a little bit of regression to the mean. We talked about the high touchdown rate that Lamar Jackson's trying to roll over from a year ago. Uh, I actually, all those stats I dropped that was originally written in an article for Ryan Tannehill uh, when he re-signed with the Titans. And one way for Tannehill to kind of get like a, a push towards that regression naturally is through that opening schedule that the Titans have. You look at week one, he is, he has that road game at Denver. Like you talked about, that's where they open. He's got a real positive matchup in week two against Jacksonville. Then they're at Minnesota versus the Steelers and then versus Buffalo over the five weeks. You've really only got one 
spot where you're going to feel really good about using him. And when you look at Tannehill last year and his 10 regular season starts, he faced the seventh easiest pass, passing efficiency schedule in the league. And then over his final six starts of last year, he had the second easiest schedule. And he beat up on teams like the Jaguars, the Colts, the Raiders, and the Texans twice over that span. Uh, so through five weeks, he has our fourth hardest passing efficiency schedule. Um, and you can also, all these things that we're dropping, you can find in Sharp Football Stats, all the breakdowns. You can use the, the arrows and sliders to move through weeks and whatever category you want to look for. So definitely check that out. Um, but he really has one positive matchup. And then another guy that I has having some positive thoughts on uh, was Daniel Jones. You know, he was looking like a real great, like one, uh, one QB starting a option that was better in fantasy than he was in reality. Because if you look at, he had some really spike weeks last week where he was the QB two or higher in three different three different games but you look at when they came they were really extremely positive matchups uh they do have some offensive playmakers they actually didn't play one game all last season with all three wide receivers on the field Saquon and Evan Ingram so you know that's a pretty decent core too that was a little underrated um but like I said he was a little opponent driven as a rookie uh his like says three QB1 games came into the Buccaneers the Jets and Washington now he opens with the Steelers at Chicago, the 49ers, and then at the Rams. So he opens up with four top 10 teams in pass efficiency allowed last year. And most importantly, when you look at a guy like Daniel Jones, he faces teams that were first, eighth, second, and fourth in the league in pressure rate from a year ago. Uh, you know, this was a guy that was under pressure, the second most uh, rate of all quarterbacks last year outside of Sam Darnold. Uh, they did draft Andrew Thomas, which is um, – you know, a little positive, you know, reinforcement there. But, you know, things open up for Daniel Jones in the middle of the season. But he was a guy I was looking to be like a late-round quarterback target for me. And now he's kind of shifted now to uh, a target for an in-season pickup uh, for me. And then one last guy just to touch on. Uh, he's not a guy that we're going to fade at all, but it's an interesting dynamic for him. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this too because I haven't heard uh, your thoughts on the, the changes that they've made personnel-wise. But Deshaun Watson, um, we talked a little bit about how tough the Houston opening month schedule was on our last podcast at Warren from a real football stance. Um, like I said, we're not going to fade Deshaun Watson. He's a dual-threat quarterback. He's got a high floor. But no DeAndre Hopkins now to lean on. He's never played a game without DeAndre Hopkins. They've got kind of a host of redundant assets at wide receivers now. And his start to the season now, trying to get acclimated to kind of what this offense is going to look like, could be interesting. Interesting. We're not really worried about him in the shootout potential of the Chiefs because he's had a lot of good games with the Chiefs out of three starts he's had against them. But then he's versus Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota. Uh, and if you look at last year, I mean, Baltimore, when they played, he had his fewest amount of fantasy points in any game up in his career last year when the Ravens played uh, the Texans. So it's going to be an interesting start uh, for Deshaun Watson, I think, to say the least, because I think a lot of people are wondering how his he really fit with losing that you know binky in an alpha true alpha wide receiver that you can just jam targets to even when he's covered yeah from a just a real football sense i'm fascinated by all three of these guys we just talked about um i'll start with watson uh, i wrote an article i think late in the season last year about how Houston was kind of shifting the way Watson was attacking the field and it stopped being about throwing a high volume of intermediate throws. And a lot of it was short, short throws uh, either at or uh, behind the line of scrimmage and then just deep bombs. And it kind of like turned into this like shot chart that would have looked like something the Houston Rockets would have been doing with like uh, James Harden 
to an extent, like uh, shots in the lane or shots from the three-point line. And that's kind of what Deshaun Watson evolved into to a lesser degree last year. And when you look at the guys that are going to be running out at wide receiver, they almost have no choice but to be doing that type of game plan because they, they got Randall Cobb. He's probably going to be that short guy. And then they have, when you look at Will Fuller, you Kenny Stills, um, Kiki Cutie, uh, who else am I missing? Brandon, Brandon, Cooks. Brandon Cooks now. Yeah. So all of these guys are the same type. They're going to be those deep threats. All of them exceed pretty well there to varying extents. So I think this is going to be a very um, high completions, getting those smart completions early and then going for these bombs. So there might be a very high ceiling, low floor uh, fantasy aspect to Sean Watson. And I think when you go back to Daniel Jones, you talked about everything that's going around with him. One of the things with Daniel Jones is just how oblivious he is to pressure. And sometimes that creates amazing plays where he's throwing just these dimes um, with guys in his face. But other times there's just it's sacks and fumbles. A lot of those fumbles were from just times he had no idea the pressure was coming. So I think we're going to be, I think, a little disappointed by the uh, amount they put in the offensive line, which isn't going to make much of a difference if Jones is still completely oblivious to pressure and uh, is not um, working through his progressions at a rate that we would hope a second-year quarterback did. I, I tweeted some stuff out. The further Daniel Jones dropped back, the worse he did. He was the best passer in the league on zero to one step drops last season by EPA per attempt. Um, when he got to three step drops, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. When he got to five step drop, he was even worse. Um, so the, the variance there is, is huge too. And I think when you go back to Ryan Tannehill, he's a guy so interesting because so much of what he was doing is just screams regression. He was really good in plays from a clean pocket, which is what typically translates from year to year. But some of the stuff he was doing was just so far out from what he was typically doing previously in his career. And I wrote an article about him in, um, in like November about how on his intermediate throws, he was on target during somewhere during the season around Thanksgiving on 89.7% of his throws that traveled between 11 and 19 air yards which is ins absolutely insane. It was the highest in the league by far. His previous years were 62.9, 68.2, 72.9. So he was, he was almost 90%. He regressed a little bit toward the end of the year, but was still completing those intermediate throws at such a high rate. And the same thing happened with his uh, deep percentage too. He had one of the lowest on-target rates on deep balls, but he had one of the highest completion rates because anything he threw on target was getting caught. So there's a lot of things that kind of scream regression for Brian Tannehill, depending on what uh, the offense around him is going to do. And I think that's going to be a lot of what Tannehill does. And when you look at what his early season schedule is, uh, that might be a little rough, especially that, that first game in Denver. I think we could be seeing through like week three or four, we're kind of wondering what happened to Brian Tannehill. Um, so let's hit one quick, one more quick thing with quarterbacks. Uh, and let's look at some streamers, some guys that you might just be looking at at week one. I know I want to target this guy for week one um, and then kind of figure out the quarterback position there. Are there any guys that stand out to you in that area? 
Uh, old, old Uncle Phil stands out just because, you know, the Jaguars, they were so bad to, to close last season, and they've actually lost more pieces this offseason defensively or, or moved on from so many pieces they compl- as they really restart this rebuild. And, you know, Phillips' highest scoring game last year was against the Jaguars when they played and just that massacre that the Chargers had. That was the game where, like, Eckler had, like, 100 and 100. Uh, he hit the double bonus on, on DraftKings, uh, which was crazy. So he stands out. Um, then I think if you want to go a little bit further, because I, I do like to play my guys at home usually when I stream typically. Um, and I think a guy like Teddy Bridgewater stands out. And I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, just what you think that offense is going to look like in general with you being a, t- a Temple alum uh, to let us know. Uh, because I look at that and I look at Teddy. He's a, he's a highly accurate passer, what he does well. And he's got a, a, a room full of guys that are really good after the catch, you know, You've got DJ Moore. You've got Curtis Samuel. Now, hopefully Robbie Anderson's addition moves Curtis Samuel away from that high ADOT guy, and he gets used a little bit more like he was his first two years and at Ohio State in college. Uh, you got Chris McCaffrey, obviously, out of the back. But Ian Thomas is a good after-the-catch tight end. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see what he can do. And this is paired with a, a, just a sieve of a defense as well. So, I mean, and now you got – and you also add Joe Brady to the mix. Uh, and we saw what he did for Joe Burrow. So, I'm really intrigued by Teddy Bridgewater in general from this, the entire climate that he has. I do wish he ran a little bit uh, more than he has so far in his career. But I'm really intrigued by the cocktail of uh, options he has that can create a really – undervalued fantasy player right now uh, in the fantasy community just because there's so many QB, QB points out there in general, but he consistently goes around like QB 20 still in drafts. And he's a guy I've kind of, you know, earmarked to kind of always get as like my QB two, especially in these best ball leagues, uh, just because of that, you know, cocktail surroundings that are kind of going around with, with the Panthers and him. So I have a dynasty team right now that by accident, not really on purpose, uh, is now invested in Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, and DJ Moore. So I am uh, hoping for very good things from uh, this Carolina Panthers offense, at least fantasy-wise. But yeah, I think when you look at Matt Rule, what he's done, what I was always impressed with what he did at Temple was just how adaptable he was. He came in, he wanted to run this spread offense. Um, He he wanted to uh, adapt and he knew where the football was going. He wanted to run that type of style. Um, Then he realized about halfway through the year, Temple did not have the guys to be doing that. So that's when they shifted back to kind of a a ground and pound um, and became a defensive heavy team because that's just where the the strength of that team went. Um, So I think he's going to allow Joe Brady to do his thing. He's going to get these guys in a position where they go to their strengths. And I I don't think he's going to be putting a lot of uh, square pegs in in round holes. I think that's one of the, the best things that Matt Rule has going for him as a coach from what I've watched of him at Temple and I followed him at Baylor. So I think he's going to be putting these guys in good situations. Um, you know, when you look at Teddy Bridgewater and you look at that Joe Brady offense from LSU, there were a lot of empty protections. That's going to help with some maybe short passes uh, that could go for the yards after the catch, which so many of those guys can do. And when you look at Bridgewater, he had that super low A dot last year, but he's a great deep passer when he actually does do it um but he just it didn't do it as often i think now that he'll be the starter he'll have a little more reps he has a guy like robbie anderson who can win deep he have even guys like curtis samuel and dj moore who can also win deep those were two guys who last year uh, among wide receivers with at least 20 deep targets uh, of 20 or more air yards had the first and second lowest uh, catchable ball percentage last year 
uh, because Kyle Allen was absolutely terrible. So I think you're going to, even if the volume isn't there, I think you're just going to be seeing better opportunities for those guys. And I think they have the ability to get open. So I'm, I'm high on Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's going to be a pretty good quarterback. And at least that offense is going to be, I think, fantasy friendly. If not, I think what we've talked about in the last episode is balancing uh, fantasy-friendly offenses with good offenses. I'm not sure how good it's going to be, how many games they're going to win, but I think it's going to be a very fantasy-friendly offense. Yeah, thanks, Kyle Allen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, at least uh, they got a, a guy, they were able to get another pick out of Kyle Allen, you know, outside of the ones that he gave away to all the teams. But, uh, yeah, that's nice to hear because, like I said, I'm, I'm high on Teddy in that offense, uh, you know, based from, a, like you said, just from a fantasy perspective. Like you said, I'm, I'm expecting Carolina to completely be in the mix to have that number one pick next year. But, uh, it, you know, when you just look at that division and the fact that they're going to have to score points, they're going to give up so many points. That defense is so bad uh, and paired with the scheme and the playmakers he has. I mean, he's just an intriguing option that I've always kind of, like I said, I've stuck a, stuck a pin in to look at for my QB2. Yeah, drafting a defensive tackle in the first round, not great if you're trying to actually win football games and build a good defense. But if you're looking to target that fantasy offense, that's exactly what you wanted the Carolina Panthers to do uh, for 2020. Uh, So if we move on, I think one other thing we can look at for – this fantasy season and what we look at in when in the schedule is something that's really grown. I think in fantasy analysis is projected pace and looking at the pace of play and wondering how fast these teams are going to be, what their opportunity to go fast is going to be because the faster you go, the more plays you're going to run, the more plays you run, the more potential for fantasy points. Um, so what are you looking at when you look at this schedule and the potential of pace of play for 2020? You hit on it. I mean, it's been something that was like long overlooked, but has really surged towards the light in recent years um, because, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we got our, we got our thumbs and everything now. Uh, but, you know, teams that play with fast tempo, you know, are amongst the best to target for fantasy purposes. I mean, you look at just a year ago, out of the top teams in pace last season, when you remove all fourth quarter plays and games where teams are trailing by you know, less than a touchdown, you've got Carolina, Tampa Bay, Dallas, the Giants, the Jets, the Falcons. Those are all teams we were targeting for play spikes and, you know, increased possessions. And all those teams were in the top 10 in, the, in pace of play in those environments. So when you look at it and, and you, like I said, you can go to Sharp Football Stats and find these in these data, uh, all these data tables and a few teams that stand out from rejected pace of play elevation stance, you know, based on opponents in 2020 are teams like the Bengals, the Browns, the Colts, the Chiefs, uh, the Steelers, and even the Patriots are in the top seven. Um, you know, we already liked all the Chiefs players anyways, but members of those other teams, you know, uh, do not have a, a lot of high draft costs. And they really aren't that expensive and it might not have that priced into some of their costs. Uh, so they could really benefit, you know, with a little bit of a play spike. And then on the other end, you've got a team like Seattle, who's up by far our 32nd ranked team and, and expected projected pace. a play by a wide margin over the next highest team, the Bears, uh, which is meaning we might be going to year nine of not seeing Russ cook yet again. Uh, you know, Russ, it, Russ is really, man, he's such a top flight player, despite being in just a complete undercutting scheme that gives him just a, a lower weekly floor than his actual talent level. And it was a problem last year in fantasy as well. When you look at the back half of the season, when he's not able to score high fantasy points in these games that Seattle just dominates, like when he would, other, other teams would just completely keep their foot on the gas and let the, 
and play to the strength of where these teams were bad at. You know, like I think Atlanta game really sticks out to me last year where they go up big and then they just throw like four second half passes. Uh, and, you know, but look at Russ. He's the only quarterback for the past two years to throw 30 or more touchdowns in each of the past two seasons. And Seattle's ranked 22nd and 32nd in passing plays run over those past two seasons. And they haven't ranked – they've ranked higher than 19th in overall passing plays just once in his eight seasons to date. Um, but I know you have some great pace of play nuggets too, but it's definitely something that uh, I encourage people to look at, uh, especially when they're looking at some of these undervalued assets on some of those teams that I mentioned uh, to open here that we are targeting outside of the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Yeah, pace is such an interesting thing. And I think we really started talking about it just kind of as a, as a football a group when you know Chip Kelly came into the league. He brought that Oregon offense that came in that was super hurry up, and, and that's how he was going to beat everything. They had like four plays in their playbook that they were just running all the time, but they were going to do it faster than you, and that's how they beat it. And uh, last year, uh, before the season, I wrote a post for uh, Sharp Football Analysis, and I looked at what pace of play was doing since Chip Kelly left the NFL, and it slowed almost to a halt. In 2018, um, there were the slowest average uh, seconds per play since 2008, and the slowest average seconds per play in neutral situations, which is basically non-garbage time, since 1997. So that was in 2018. Those stats are from a football outsider's pace. So I and there was, when you look at the chart, there's a gradual slowdown since about you know, 2011 when Chip Kelly really you know, hit his peak. But last year, the NFL started hurrying up again. Um, average seconds per play went, went down from, from 28.05 to 27.63. So that was almost you know, half a second faster uh, in 2019 than it was. And um, in neutral situations, it also went down almost a half a second from 31.06 to 30.63. Uh, and those, I know those numbers aren't really going to do much for you, but when you uh, look at the chart, these are back to around like, you know, 2015 uh, pace of play. And I think the NFL is starting to pick back up and get a little faster. We're seeing some of these uh, offensive head coaches who are using this pace uh, again. Um, but when you look at what the, like, New England has been a team that has been among the fastest. Um, and we, I wonder if we're going to see that again, if we're going to see them slow down. Uh, but we're seeing these offenses speed up now more in 2019 than we did. And that it looks like that pace of play kind of hit that the top and the peak and it's going to decrease again. And if that's what happens, we're going to see some more plays and that could be a very good thing for fantasy. So that is absolutely something to keep an eye on. Uh, maybe in the preseason, if we get that, we might see some teams start to you know, inject that pace a little bit. And especially early in the season, I think that's an early season trend we should be looking at and then starting to target that throughout the season. Um, but yeah, it's just a completely interesting thing to watch. Um, so I think the last thing we're going to talk about is the place on your fantasy roster where you probably spend the least amount of time thinking about it. You probably get to the point in the draft and you go, eh, that guy looks good. Um, and that is team defense. But I think when you're looking at this is the one that is the most heavily streamed. I think when you look at what these defenses are going to do, targeting what they're going to be facing in the early part of the season, especially now that we kind of know so much of defensive success is based on 
how good an offense is that they face. And it's more so an offense than it is a defensive success. So Rich, what are, what are you looking at when you're targeting defenses uh, in your drafts and looking at them for their early part of the season? Yeah, you hit it really on the head. I mean, that's why I've always been an advocate to remove team, room team, remove team defense is because you're really just playing the opposition offense like a really a 90% of the time, uh, except for, you know, the one guy that runs into like the hot team that year. But um, if you look at uh, offensive efficiency, it was a big proponent last year and in multiple years of really driving a lot of fancy success. It was a big time appeal for the New England Patriots last year, especially in my leagues. They had our number one easiest schedule coming into the season in terms of offensive efficiency opponents that they were going to face. And obviously they set just about every defensive fantasy scoring record that you can imagine. Uh, and that schedule actually played out to a T like that. And like teams like Buffalo and Baltimore also took advantage of extremely favorable schedules against offensive ineptitude uh so baltimore again draws our number one schedule in that regard this year uh we should kind of expect a lot of the afc north offenses to inherently be better uh, you know pittsburgh's going to get ben back uh year two of zach taylor with burrow and you know aj green back in and then kevin Stefanski and the browns uh, we should expect those teams to get better but they still do have our number one uh, overall schedule. So if you're in like best ball leagues and you want to look at full season matchups, I mean, some other teams that are kind of in that same area are Cleveland, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, the Colts and Chiefs. But again, I like to scale down just for early season, like we did with the quarterbacks. Um, and a team like the Colts really stands out. They have our top schedule of opposing offensive in terms of efficiency through the first six weeks uh, prior to their week seven bye. Over that span, they play uh, teams like the Jets, the Jaguars, the Bears, uh, the Bengals, the Browns over that opening six-week stretch, which is really good. Denver's another team that has a really favorable opening, uh, you know, five weeks. They also get Bradley Chubb back. They, they picked up Jarrell Casey. They did lose Chris Harris in the back end. But, you know, they've got uh, matchups like the Dolphins, the Jets, the Titans. And, you know, in three of their opening six games. And then, you know, a lot of teams, we look for these defenses to regress. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to pay up, a team like the 49ers really just gets a tremendous outlook uh, in terms of offensive efficiency. Uh, the Jets, the Giants, and the Dolphins are three of their opening five games. Those are three of – those are the actual three bottom teams uh, in pressure rate allowed last season. And San Francisco ranked second in the NFL in pressure rate generated as a defense. So it really plays right into kind of the strength of what their defense is. And something that is sticky, like pass rush, uh, is going to be a problem still for some of those teams because we know a lot of them made improvements. But I think when we look at the totality of those offensive lines, we still feel like those are three of the softer groups uh, in the NFL. Uh, so those are kind of the, the team defenses if you're looking for team defense analysis uh, in mid-May. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which is what everyone is looking for. But I, I will, uh, I will jump on the the Colts here. They are just a team. I'm not sure how I feel about the defense and, and how it's going to play, but they have so many young guys that I really like. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for them uh, to break out. I mean, they traded for a DeForest Buckner. That's a new presence in the middle of that defense. Uh, a healthy season from Kamukat. Kamoko Ture um, is going to be great. Uh, ben Banigu was uh, one of my favorite draft prospects like ever um, last season. Uh, while I was doing the big review podcast, I think I brought him up like almost every podcast of someone uh, I just loved. Um, and so he is a guy who flashed at times. Uh, he's going to get a bigger role. Uh, Rocky Sin, a Temple guy, was a really good starting a rookie corner last year on a, at a position where that is not easy 
to be an immediate impact player. And he was one of the better rookie corners last year. Um, they also have uh, Malik Hooker uh, in the secondary. Julian Blackman is a guy, a rookie who I really like. And Marvel Tell is another guy who I really like in that uh in that 2019 class. So they have guys who are going to be coming into their second year that I really like. I'm spending way too much time talking about the Indianapolis Colts defense, um, but they just do have a bunch of guys that, that I do like. And you know what? It's May. We'll just get excited about something. And for some reason for me right now, that is the Indianapolis Colts defense. I love it. I love it. Break it down. Break down all those picks. If you, listen, if you can't get excited about the, the Colts D in mid-May, then you're not alive. We, we got to do something. There's not a lot, and I don't know where that came from, but, uh, but hey, that listen, I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> and on that note, uh, I think we're going to end here. That's going to be our, our first foray into uh, the schedule. We're going to have some more notes uh, coming up on that. Rich is going to be writing some more stuff about the schedule all week uh, and how that relates to fantasy on sharp football analysis. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can find both of our work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, please rate and review this podcast if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Uh, everything that helps us get seen more and, and all of that stuff. So you guys have been great for those who have been listening. We appreciate you. If you tell a friend about this, it's only going to, fantasy football season is going to be coming up uh, super quick, hopefully. Uh, we hope and we hope this podcast is going to help that time pass a little more. So uh, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.